if I'm going to have to kind of adhere to, like, the male gaze or, like, laugh at shitty jokes or, like, you know, be basically, like, sexually harassed, then I need to be compensated, like, well for that. Do you know what I mean? Like, if I was doing waitressing or if I was doing bar work, I would have to deal with guys, like, hitting on me and and be nice and everything because I'd either be looking to get tips or I'd be looking just to kind of keep the peace or whatever. But, like, as a stripper... I'm either A, getting paid well for that labour, or I'm B, able to say, actually, I'm going to go, and they can't do anything. You know what I mean? This conversation talks about lots of things, some of which you might want to know about in advance, such as sex and sexuality, racism and sexism, mental health issues, specifically anxiety and depression, suicidal thoughts and suicide, self-harm, and self-destructive tendencies. When I look back, I realise I've never had non-anxious thought processes. Never. Like, as, as young as, what, three or four, I've never lived in a way that is not shaded by anxiety. I've never not wanted to double-check something. I've never not worried about this thing or that thing. I've never not had this kind of double thought where, you know, I'm having a conversation with you and I'm thinking about other stuff. Like, it's in the back working away and kind of reminding me about other things. But I'm still here. But I'm not here. You know, and that's always been my process. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Nicole. Hello, Nicole. Hello. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, I mean, my pleasure. Um, yeah, we're recording in my flat, so background sound fans will be happy about that because it's generally better sound quality here, although pretty much on cue and air. Is that a plane? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Aeroplane's like the bane of... I feel like like if there's a natural enemy of the podcaster, it's an aeroplane. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Especially in London because they're everywhere yeah. all the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you can't record in the city, mm. I find, uh, without catching one. The first question that I ask everybody is how do you know me? Um, well, I met you what, a month ago at the Smart mm. Slam um, in Brixton, run by Cameron Moore. Yeah. And... Um, we just discussed that you had a storytelling night and I was like, that sounds great. Um, and I was like, I'm, you know, looking to branch out and stuff. We Facebook friended. Yeah. And then I filled in last night for the Smart Slam. That's right. And then you asked me about doing this and I was yeah. like, yes, please. Because I love doing <laughs> podcasts and stuff. So yeah. here we are. Yeah, I mean, and you're, you're kind of, because I'm, co- I'm co-producing that with Cameron in London and part of my job is to find the, the guests as a general rule. Um, but you're kind of, there's a few new people I've met uh, because Cameron had a few pe- a few contacts that she put me in touch with mm. and you're one of those. So mm. it, like I'm always, I'm very excited to meet you because I didn't know you know didn't know anything about you and that's always quite exciting um as someone who's who's mostly kind of programmed nights I normally know what to expect from everybody that I program but I I didn't know what to expect from you so that was exciting Ah. Uh, and having met you a couple of times we've got like more mutual friends than we think I mean probably because you're Mm. in the comedy and theatre scene Mm. Uh, but also you I think 
you at least you know if you're not part of uh, the East London Stripper Collective, right? I am, yeah, yeah. I'm part of. I know a couple of people from there a bit, but I, mm. I know people more from uh, Sex Worker Open University who've rechanged, ah. rebranded their name now to Swarm, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, I've, I work with them with Spark to do um, a night of sex work stories, uh, sex what? worker stories, rather, told by sex workers. Uh, and it was great room actually the audience was mostly sex workers too so it was yes. a great atmosphere I mean and it was it was nice that like that like a third of the audience weren't a third of the audience were there because they like coming to storytelling events and it was quite yeah. nice to sort of see the norms be the uh, the minority yeah uh, absolutely was um, is that was that just a one-off yeah it was a one-off I would like to do oh, it again it's quite a lot yeah. of work though uh so I'm you know when you know at a meeting if you if you suggest something you have to do it. Oh yeah. Uh, at the moment, in in any meetings that I'm in, where I'm not going to get paid to do it, I, I keep quiet about my suggestions. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because I, you know, I know how it goes. Like if I mention it, I will end up doing it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I'd love to do it again. Oh, um, th- I would love to be part of it. Yeah. If, if you, again. yeah, no, if we do, I would. Totally because reach I actually out to have um, on YouTube, I have a series called Nicole Stripper Stories. Um, I've done six episodes so far, right. and it's just like some stories from like you know being a stripper and right. things that have happened and mainly just focusing on like a moment it's not like a yeah you know it's, well, yeah. well that's the thing with like sex work is quite like a, an, an umbrella term and so that was the interesting thing about that night like we had some people who were strippers some people who were sex workers in terms of full service and mm. like and that sort of thing so and some do, like dominatrixes that don't do sex but they do do hitting I think we didn't have we didn't have cam girls there was a lot of groups that I would have I've liked to represent, so I'm oh, hoping yeah. if we do it again that I'll I'll uh, I'll I'll find you know more a more diverse group of people to talk about it because you know Absolutely. that's I think sex work's definitely an area that you don't want to give the, anybody the impression that everybody's like one yeah, kind of yeah. one narrative. All situations are like that in life, I guess, mm. but sex work particularly because people have only got one narrative in their head anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, enough of me, uh, a non-sex worker's opinion about <laughs> sex work. The second question that I ask everybody is, what do you do now? Thank you. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> this is like a really well-structured podcast. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I... Uh, basically made comedy shows for five years. So I've got five comedy shows that I wrote, directed, produced, performed, toured around, all that stuff. Because I never thought that anyone would, like, give me space to play and explore. So I was like, well, I need to make my own space. Because I knew that I'd have to wait, like, three years before someone said, yeah, you know, we'll give you half an hour or something. So, um, yeah, I did that for basically five years. And then three years ago... I started stripping to, like, fund the comedy shows because, like, art doesn't (laughs) pay and no one wants to see fucking someone jumping around on stage in a poncho telling puns. Um, I mean, some people really I do. Mean, but I, think, yeah, I, I agree. I agreed with you too early in that sentence. Yeah. Like, I agree with you that art doesn't pay. I don't necessarily agree that nobody wants to see someone yeah. jumping around on stage with a poncho. It's weird because it's like a hard sell because I made comedy for people that don't really like comedy. Well, like, do you know what I mean? I made comedy yeah, for people yeah. that are like, I'm sick of seeing straight white guys talking about like, oh, microwaves are hard to use. Right. You know what I mean? But then... Those people, once you say, oh, it's a comedy show, even if you say it's alternative, it's character comedy, it's, like, silly, it's queer posy, it's, you know, all this sort of stuff, people are like, oh, I don't... You know, they don't... They're like, no, they close off. Yeah. Um, and so it was kind of a hard sell because I was basically trying to get the people that don't want to 
go like don't feel safe right. in comedy spaces essentially but the word comedy puts those people off mm, absolutely and then the other terms you could use puts off general comedy audiences yeah yeah <laughs> it was it's just a bit of, it was too much of like i'm not you know closed off to going back to comedy at some point but it's just just a hard sell in a lot of ways and then within the comedy scene there's this whole thing where people are like oh you're trying to be too different you're trying to be too this trying to be too that and that's also very very draining and exhausting <laughs> yes it's exhausting just yeah. hearing you say it and i'm, I'm not living it, living yeah, it in yeah. any way um <laughs> but yeah so i started um stripping three years ago is that right 2014 yeah to basically help fund being a fucking dickhead on stage um and also have more flexibility and I was like well I already perform so it's performing but it's not like I don't have to do like bar work and I I think I definitely feel like within myself even before I started sex work and it's been reaffirmed now that if I'm going to have to kind of adhere to like the male gaze or like laugh at shitty jokes or like, you know, be basically like sexually harassed, then I need to be compensated like well for that. Do you know what I mean? Like if I was doing waitressing or if I was doing bar work, I would have to deal with guys like hitting on me and, and be nice and everything. Cause I'd either be looking to get tips or I'd be looking just to kind of keep the peace or whatever. Right. But like as a stripper, I'm either A, getting paid well for that labour, or I'm B, able to say, actually, I'm going to go, and they can't do anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was basically like, well, if I'm going to, you know, have to be like, oh, look, I'm a woman, and I shave my armpits and stuff, then I want to (laughs) be, you know what I mean? And, like, I want to be paid for that, like, and have that labour valued, basically, and valued adequately. So, yeah, I was basically in that kind of a mindset and started stripping and then everyone was like I have a million questions about that and I was like well that's really great like we should be talking about this and then a bunch of people were like when are you going to do a show about that and a lot of people assumed that I was stripping to like research for a show right which kind of annoys me because it sort of implies that like I would have been fine financially it's kind of like they're saying oh you're just like fart-assing around doing nothing like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, you're doing research, you know? Like, I remember I was working at McDonald's and people thought I was doing research. And I was like, what? about what? Like, right. what the fuck? Right. Like, I need to pay for right. being an artist. I need a job that's flexible. I need, you I mean, know... It's, it's, if you make art, it's natural to mm. then incorporate your life experience into art. Like, when mm. I've worked in call centres, I've written stuff about mm. call centres. When I've visited people in mental institutions, I've written about visiting people in mental institutions. And in fact, I, I wrote about them in the same context because they felt very similar. Yeah. But I didn't do either of, the, either of those mm. things as research. And I can... I I've been quite annoyed sometimes by by things being seen as like like almost like calculated like you know mm. when it's in, just struggling it's just oh, living. absolutely yeah yeah <laughs> that's the thing isn't it it's either like this kind of callous calculation or it's this kind of like whimsical you're just having fun right and like your life must be oh good enough for some you know and all this kind of yeah. thing and it's just generally kind of dismissive of the the art and then the preparation and work that goes into that and yeah, that kind of annoyed me. But despite that, I kind of was like, okay, well, people have a point. Like, people want to know about sex work. They want to hear a story. They want to see a theatre show. And people who are curious about sex work are often kind of put off by actually researching it themselves. Or indeed, like, someone is more likely to go to a theatre show about stripping. Right. Especially about someone who's, like, foreign to them. Yeah. Like, I'm Australian in the UK, you know what I mean? So people are more likely to go to that than they are to go to 
say, a comedy show by a full-service worker or, you know, to watch a TV show even um, because this idea of, like, theatre kind of legitimises everything and then stripping for a lot of people in their mind, it's, like, a step away so they can kind of go, okay, well, I, I can hear that person out right. or it's okay to go to this show, you know what I mean? So I had all that, like, awareness and I, I knew that I'd be sort of in a lot of ways, like pandering to the academics in, in you know, right. some ways and, and making it an accessible show for people that they could go like, okay, I'd like to, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable enough to take that much of a step. Yeah. They wouldn't take the next step, but that much of a step is okay. Right. And then I was like, well, I can't make it a comedy show. Like I, that was like my first, I was like, no, because... I could have done, you know, an hour stand-up show that's like, hey, here's all the funny stuff that happens. And, you know, this guy bled on me and this guy came in his pants and, like, this person was racist and, like, whatever, right? Just all this... I mean, they, those don't necessarily <laughs> sound hilarious in, 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 the, in, the, in the context that you said to me. But I can see how they, they are the funny, the funny stories. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, just, like, the stuff that happens. The, you know, just the... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... <laughs> <laughs> um, you know the stuff that bloody goes on, yeah. but um, <laughs> so ridiculous. Uh, but I knew that I could have done, you know, a show that people are like, "Oh, that was funny," and blah blah, and maybe it had some message, but they could kind of disconnect because it was still kind of a funny show. Yeah. And then I was like, "Well, I can't, I can't do that." Like, I know that it would sell. I know that it could have some impact, but it wouldn't be the same as a theater show where I'm framing as a theatre show, I'm stripping throughout the show, so I'm actually showing myself as a stripper, as a sex worker, and also as, you know, I guess, a legitimate theatre artist, if you want to kind of put it that way. So that people can't separate the two. They can't sort of come along to the show and see me, you know, what, in my leggings or whatever, talking about, like, oh, hey, let's talk about sex work. Yeah. Like, I'm actually presenting as I would at work, and I've done my makeup, and I've got lingerie on, and I'm doing the dancing, and then I'm stopping, and I'm going, like, hey, so this is a conversation that I had with my dad about rape culture, you know? And that was something that was very important to me to, like, display all sides and have the show kind of structured in this way that was like dance monologue dance monologue and that meant that I could just answer these frequently asked questions and then also weave in like a general kind of overarching storyline right so um yeah that then that went really well and (laughs) I also did a comedy show that went like okay and then I thought you know this is probably a sign that maybe the comedy was never really not like never really going to work out, but maybe the the struggle of it was more kind of teaching me about being a performing artist, a touring artist, a self-produced person, all that sort of stuff. And then I can now apply all those skills to doing theatre and being more open and vulnerable because I was scared to be vulnerable. Right. You know, I was really, really scared. And I had all these characters and I had all these jokes and I had all these songs and multimedia and stuff. It was all kind of a... A distancing it was all kind of a mask right and then like just standing like actually stark naked on stage talking about like my mom telling me that I should lose weight like that's something that that's people powerful. need to I see, see that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know yeah. um and like it's it's great to have like a silly show that's 
queer inclusive and pro-femme and, you know, very kind of like, oh, I'm a white girl, look at me, doing jokes about Twitter, like, you know, and like, here's a pun about going on a date with a girl, ha <laughs> ha, you yeah. know, like, that's great and that should exist, I think, yeah. but... but there's a lot of it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> sure, it should exist. I'm not, mm. I mean, not necessarily, I'm not saying necessarily that all genres of kind of white male comedy I'm fine with existing but those kind of observational fun uh, yeah. things should exist but they're w- wickedly over overrepresented and I think it's interesting you know that you were talking about um, making comedy for people who aren't into comedy because mm. I mean I'm one of those people and also I know a lot of people who are, are those kind of people who are like wanting something different from the, yeah. the mainstream option um, and I think that that, that is a whole kind of group of audience who are, who are quite under uh, under catered to yeah, uh, within yeah. the arts oh, absolutely but it's interesting as well that you're talking about you know you've got you're, you're talking about stripping and you're talking about theatre mm. and both of those are kind of interestingly placed within the hierarchies of those different kind yes. of you know because theatre is like considered a high art mm-hmm. uh, but also that means that a load of people don't go and see it because yeah. it's theatre and we don't want culture mm. um, and then you know stripping is considered I guess like you were saying it's mm. less stigmatised than other forms oh, of sex work and there's kind yeah. of like the there's a hierarchy within sex work that I've heard a lot of sex workers talk about mm, mm. Um, and, and I talk about yeah, that in the right, show as I'm well sure, yeah. it's called the hierarchy. right I'm, um, I'm glad you said yeah. that <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah and I, I like physically like map it out like I the stage is just a chair and so the chair is used to sit on it's used to dance on and there's a point where I basically map out the hierarchy and I say that us strippers were up here penthouse level they can't even touch us you know and then I kind of go down the ladder and then I deconstruct that and basically say I don't know why you know this is necessary and why I would say that this person is less worthy than I am or you know and and I it's because I it sounds really strange but I'm actually in a position of privilege as a stripper to talk about that hierarchy because unfortunately, because the hierarchy is there, people are more likely to listen to me. Yeah, you know I mean, what I mean. Yeah. It's, I, I do know. Yeah, what I mean. it's kind of like you, um, as you know, seen as a man, yeah. sort of talking about sexism. Yeah, is Which is, of, I mean, I've, I've got a solo yeah. show where I do that, and mm. so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm quite aware of. I mean, I don't talk to, I don't tell women how to do feminism. I talk to men. Mm. Uh, they're mm. they're the, the people I address within my show. Anyone can see it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I know what it's like to be listened to on issues that other people are not listened to Mm -hmm. and it's a complicated responsibility and also frustration because you see the people who should be being listened to and you don't want to you don't want to be taking their platform you don't want to be kind of taking their space but at the same time the the message that they have to say needs to be heard by more people so it's it's a complicated uh, area to be in yeah yeah and that's um that was something that I was actually really quite scared of I was scared that people who worked in other areas of the sex work industry would come along to the show and kind of be like, you don't speak for me. But in, you know, my great kind of surprise, all kinds of people came to see the show, all kinds of sex workers came to see the show, and they were all overwhelmingly like, this is important and you've done it really well and thank you for your show and thank you for your vulnerability. And I've made so many friends and connections now from doing this show and being willing to be that vulnerable and like there's also funny moments you know I kind of imitate customers and I go through like telling my mom and her kind of stilted emotionless response of like oh right yes <laughs> you know um and and <laughs> right because 
she, you know, she couldn't like own up to having emotions about it. Right. So she has to kind of, <laughs> she has to kind of be like, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting, you know, uh, and that sort of thing. And there's plenty of moments of kind of physical comedy and plenty of bits where it's quite whimsical or where kind of tension is broken by a joke, but also. I think it's important to have like tension not broken as well and, and all this sort of stuff that kind of happens, um, which is all informed by a comedy background. Right. You know, the kind of rule of th- three and the kind of like having a punchline and then having another punchline on top of that and having callbacks and knowing how to like when to have a punchline and when to kind of keep pushing, yeah. you know, and all that sort of different stuff kind of informed a theatre show. Yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting because, like, because theatre is considered, like, a higher art, I am now asked, and I've never been asked before, but I'm now asked where I trained. Right. And I'm just like, well, I did it. Like, (laughs) (laughs) as a comedian, I'm never asked where I trained. Like, even doing character comedy, even, you know, imitating people, no one can, like, no one would ever ask me where I trained. And also the interesting thing about, like, being kind of, I guess, an out and proud stripper, if you will. Um, People ask me, like, really kind of innocent, yes, very naive questions about stripping. Like, do I have a license? Like, did I have to do a course? Like, is there, like, a starter pack? Like, did I go on a... Like, you know what I mean? Did I go through training? And I was... It's so weird, because I was just like... I I guess I probably would have thought that at some stage as well, you know? Like, how does it work? Do you kind of go and apply somewhere and right. you, you know what I mean right. you know is there like only so many strippers that are allowed right. to it's sort of stuff where I go that's we should talk about that we should be answering those kinds of questions and we should have more I mean it, I would love to see more and more theatre about sex work and I know that for a lot of people they could never do it either because they're not performers or because they could never be that open or because they could never tell anyone or you know and so that's why I was also like I need to do this show because I am a performer and I am, you know, ready and willing after all this time of kind of hiding per se to being open and being vulnerable and being like out quote unquote as a sex worker and as a person who's like willing to engage in that way. But at the same time throughout the show, I say in my opinion and in my experience and to me, and it's it's all very much like I'm only ever speaking for myself. I don't speak for other strippers, other sex workers at large, other women of colour, other performers, you know, it's only ever my story. And I think that that's important. And I think we should be having those conversations, you know, and it's, I don't know, it's kind of interesting because I actually talk about very similar themes in my comedy but it just never really got seen the same way because it's not in the same genre and stuff and it's like me jumping around in a poncho doing puns but then also kind of talking about like oh gender is fake lol it's like (laughs) like that wasn't seen the same as kind of me um talking about the ways that gender was restricting the men that I was seeing in the club you know but then also the ways that like this idea of strength and weakness and masculine and feminine was kind of restricting me as well. Right. It makes sense for sex workers to find themselves within the kind of world of performance mm. because they are performers as Absolutely. a general rule. I mean, yeah. that's that's simplifying sex work to a certain extent. But then, mm. but that often frustrates me. Like when you're talking about the, the hierarchy, like you've got strippers, but then on, there's also actors. Mm. And I feel like actors are are on the continuum of sex work to a certain mm-hmm. extent. Particularly if you you know if you perform uh, in in sex scenes, yeah. then you are in some ways a sex worker. I yeah. Think. I mean, of course, and I've, I've just invisibilized people who make porn there. I guess they're like 
like I don't know where they are they're, sometimes they're more respectable sometimes they're less respectable yeah. than strippers it's mm. a complicated one depends on if they're making erotica or porn I guess I think so yeah but but that's like it frust- constantly frustrates me the way that the kind of acting community and performers in general mm-hmm. and artists and creators aren't mm. like properly standing in solidarity with sex workers mm-hmm. like yeah, you yeah. know fr- our histories are intertwined oh yes you know throughout throughout, oh throughout centuries yeah, yeah. there's been a connection between sex work and and acting particularly mm. and also poetry and, and art in general like so it's it's so frustrating that the creative communities don't tend to kind of see sex workers in the the light that i'd like them to it's, you know all i ever hear is you know, horrible jokes about sex mm, workers. Yeah. I never hear anybody sort of s- s- standing with sex workers in solidarity, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's particularly when, when, when it's comedians who make those jokes. Again, I think that's such a strange situation where where a group of mm. people who are, you know, essentially doing very similar kinds of things. Yeah. Entertaining people, mm. kind of mining their own self for their job. Oh, right? yeah. Absolutely. Like that's, that's what comedians... And sex workers are both doing so. Why? Why are they not? Why? Well, why are comedians not supporting sex workers? I don't think sex workers are not supporting comedians, apart mm. from the ones who are being mean about them and who shouldn't be being supported by anyone's money. I don't mm. think. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's quite interesting that you draw that similarity because that was like the first thing I noticed. Like my first night as a stripper, I was like, "Oh, this is just like comedy," you know, because like. I go and I talk to someone and that's like flyering them for my show, right? right? And then if they're interested, they come to the show, i.e. they book a dance with me and then I make my money, right, right? right, right. And I do my performance. Right. And as much as I might enjoy the performance, as much as it might be a great experience and it might vary from like, ugh, this person is the worst, they don't appreciate it, to this person really loves it, we're having a good time and anything in between, it's like I'm doing my show, I'm having a level of fun, but there's still a level of kind of, as you say, mining my soul. And then I kind of, <laughs> I, I make the money and I kind of move on to the next person and I flyer and I do the show and I flyer right. and do the show. And I mean, I'm terrible at flyering, so I don't know if I've managed <laughs> to get very many people into the booth. <laughs> I was always pretty good, yeah. but I, I was never... I mean, even now, I'm still not the hustler that some girls are. Like, some, I, I, I watch in awe as some dancers, like, a customer will come in and, like, 30 seconds later, they're in the booth. And I'm like, how? Like, you're amazing. And it's crazy to me because I'm like, sometimes um, strippers go like, oh, I want to take a break or I don't want to do stripping for a couple of years or I think I'm kind of retiring. What should I do? And I'm like, sales. <laughs> are you fucking insane? Like, you've been doing sales for, like, 10 years. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and you're amazing at it. Like... You should be doing sales. And also the thing that kind of annoys me is that a lot of um, a lot of sex workers, what happens, the, the cycle of sex work per se, is basically just that you can't put on your resume that you've been stripping or um, doing full service or doing cam work or whatever for three, four, five, ten years, right? Because people are like, oh, well, that's we don't want to know about that. That's dirty and disgusting. And, you know, you were freelance and you were this and that. But it's like, um, hello, I was self-employed. I was managing right. my funds. I was making my own money. Right. I was doing essentially sales. Transferable you know. skills in all directions. Yeah, like I was like <laughs> running a business, yeah, yeah. you know what yeah, I mean, yeah. on my own and still managing everything in my life and consistently making enough money there and consistently getting better and better at that job but it's not seen as legitimate so what happens is then people go like okay well I can't necessarily make a transition to like legitimate work quote unquote or like paid you know salary work or whatever so they kind of go all right well maybe I'll start up a 
webcam website. Maybe I'll open my own strip club. Maybe I'll become a house mom or a manager in a strip right. club or something. Um, which is all, they're all good options. But I think it's a real shame because I know a lot of sex workers that are like the best business people I've ever met. And like they should be out there like consulting for fucking huge big companies because they could do it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's just a, another example of people not seeing sex work as work. Right. And it is. Yeah, yeah, And it's yeah. just, like, disappointing, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, you know, most of the uh, arguments against sex work that are not kind of uh, the kind of ones based around disgust mm. are often based around capitalism or work, where it's like, yeah, I agree with you, work is terrible. Why are you singling out that? particular form of work when all of this other work Mm. is terrible let's get rid of the concept of work Mm. very in favor of it uh not calling work work when it is work yeah not in favor of it it's a bit like you know it's a bit like racism right like racism we understand isn't real but Mm. we have to act as if it like those those categories are real because they are real right to people in their lived experience so so calling sex work work seems perfectly reasonable but also if you're against sex work because it's work then get against work yeah like, absolutely i want you to be on like against work or capitalism or whatever yeah. whatever you see the the, the 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 villain in this piece being yeah, yeah yeah i mean it's interesting what you're saying like because i i recognize that you're right that so many sex workers have like these great skills for business mm. but i also see some like what i what i guess attracted me to some of these issues in the first place is what I see within the sex worker rights movement is kind of brilliant anti-capitalist organisation. Mm, mm. <laughs> like so, so you know, it sounds like so, you know, on, on one level, if if people treated sex workers with respect, they could like make capitalism great again, and mm. on another level, they could burn it down. Yeah, uh, both of which I kind of in favour of, but yeah. more the burning down. <laughs> hey, I mean, you might if you can't build it, you might as well burn it down. You know. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But you're currently making a show which you're taking up to Edinburgh. Mm, so mm. you're going to kind of get to use those those flyering uh, skills that you've developed <laughs> in your stripping, to, like out in the in the in the uh, the wilds of Edinburgh. I know. Um, and that show is still about sex work, right? But it's kind of related to mental health as well, right? Or is it more just mental health? I mean, is, where yeah, is it? I mean, it's more just that? mental health. Just mental I, health. I yeah. do. I have been wondering, like, how much. Should I mention I am a stripper still? Should I mention, like, what like what should go into the show, you know, and what is relevant to the show? Um, and I'm, I'm not really sure because um, I don't really know where I want it to go. You right. know what I mean? Like, if I want to be able to take it around to schools, for example, right. and perform it yeah, as yeah. a piece about kind of educating people about mental health, but also it being, like, a theatre show that's very personal and very vulnerable, so maybe more for, like, sort of, 14 and up for example um then i mean it probably could still i mean it depends like how much would you mention how much would you not mention and it's definitely how relevant is that kind limit of stuff some of your opportunities if yeah. that's the way where you want to move it into which mm. i'm not saying it's necessarily that i'm not saying that they should be limited but mm. it will be you know? oh absolutely yeah people yeah. are really scared in schools of anything to do with oh sex. they are they are which is so <laughs> it's just not it's not helping anyone you know no, it brings us all. back to all our usual points um <laughs> right. but at the same time like i could develop it such that i have almost two versions you know like a pg and an m-rated version right. per se um and you know i, I am looking to tour it as a theatre show but I mean it's always great to have this option to take things to schools or universities or to have kind of workshops or talks and especially about stuff that's so important like mental health right. 
And as much as I would have loved to do that with Making It Rain about sex work, I kind of feel like that's really more of a university topic, um, which is really distressing because I think it would be great to even do like, you know, a snippet of the show and then have like a Q&A for an hour with a bunch of like 16 year olds. Like yeah. they should, we should be talking about this kind of stuff with younger people and they yeah, should yeah. know about this, you know, yeah. and it's stuff where I've done, I've had, you know, someone come along to Making It Rain, the show about stripping uh, as a parent and then said, can I bring my teenage daughter because it's an 18 plus show. And I've said, if you're happy for them to come along, then yeah. I would love them to come along, you know? And it's something where I would love to be able to perform that show for a group of like 14 to eight year old, you know, young women. Um, because that's like, it's their show in a lot of ways. It's kind of talking so much about like, yeah, I mean, it is me talking to my parents about doing sex work and rape culture and gender stuff, you know, and it is me talking about like burning out because right. I was trying to be too strong, you know, and my romantic relationships and how, you know, the effect wasn't that people were like, oh, you're doing stripping, now you're gross. The effect was that I am me and I <laughs> throw myself into things too much. Right. And um, that's how I kind of burn out and that's how I become someone that I wonder is that kind of too much for people and all this sort of stuff. So, I mean, it's, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. what, where am I, where am I wanting to go with this new show? What, what am I wanting to say? And how am I, you know, what's the end game with it, I guess. And so I just, I don't know, like I, <laughs> it's a show where I'm performing it in my underwear with like a box on my head covered in tinfoil. Right. You know, it's fucking <laughs> art, man. Yeah, no, no. I've, I've seen that, I've seen the video. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. Um, and I, I was actually thinking about like flyering in Edinburgh and I was like, I would love to flyer in that outfit. And then I was like, oh, that might kind of open me up to a whole lot of like sexual harassment bullshit. And then I was like, I wonder if I should just cover myself in tinfoil because I want to make, I want to be able to flyer and it be like, yeah, what yeah, the yeah. fuck is that? Yeah, what yeah. is that thing? Should I go to that show? Um, but I, I don't want it to be like too confronting and the people that it's really for will be put off. You know, it's the same thing with the comedy kind of making comedy for people that don't go to comedy. It's like, I'm making theater about a very delicate topic in a lot of ways. And it's, it's going to be a very gentle show, but then how do you get the word out when it's gentle? (laughs) You know? Um, but yeah, I just, I want to be even more vulnerable than I was before and, and discuss like a lot of my fears that revolve around my mental health. Right. And I do think that that probably will mention, I, I feel like, cause people can't, they can't kind of, um, balance this idea of like being, um, this overtly sexual kind of in charge of myself person. Who's like charging money for people to see my tits. Right. right. With someone who's like crying and watching Juno. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> like they can't like yeah. balance those things. With, like how, you know, because we don't see people that varied in a lot of kind of media and stories. And so I think we kind of don't really know how to like what, you know, and that's why I feel like it's really important to do the show. And if I don't, talk about sex work, I'll definitely talk about my sex life. Right. And the fact that I am seen, you know, when people see me and people kind of see me in the group, I am kind of the life of the party, this kind of, you know, confident, sassy, sexual, charming force. And then people can't really relate that to the idea that I might just be in bed all day. Right. Like it's, no, you know, no, and no, not no. like, cause I'm fucking just cause I'm sad. No, no, like, no. I know, <laughs> I know you, mean. you know what I mean? And, I think that that's really important to talk about, like, this 
uh, yeah, like how mental health can make you just this spectrum of a... Not that, you know, people aren't spectrums of people without mental health issues, but I just think that people don't always think about those complete ends of the spectrum and the ways in which, like, you know, me being anxious, I kind of cover that up a lot with, like, this kind of bravado. And then when the bravado is gone, like, it's it's a whole other side of the coin. Like, it's not even, like taking it 10% down. It's yeah. like taking it like minus a hundred down. Yeah. You know, I'm, you know, I'm pretty familiar with that, <laughs> with that balance. I mean, I'm not, I'm not necessarily seen as, as confident or like uh, sexual or all those things, but certainly I found that people see me a certain way and they, mm. they don't, they, they won't believe that, that, that or they, they will believe. I mean, it's not quite as extreme as that, but like people find it hard to understand that. Yeah. I may spend like a long time, you know, huddled in a in, a, in the fetal position, pretending that, that, hoping, wishing that, that there was nothing, you know, nothing of me, let alone the world. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. Those kind of experiences, like people. I mean, I try to talk about this stuff now, so I guess I'm I'm past the point where people don't. Uh, it's become mm. part of my personal brand now. Yeah, having yeah. mental health issues. It used to be something I didn't know I had, <laughs> and I didn't yeah. acknowledge once I did. Uh-huh, um, yeah. But now it's part of my personal brand, and it sounds like you're doing, a, you're having a similar journey. Really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, in, 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 there's pros, pros and cons to making it part of your personal brand. And the, one of the big pros is what you're talking about. Really, it's it's, it's having people see you a mm. little bit more of you. Like that, you have this spectrum of different ways you can be, mm. and also you know you feel less alone because everybody else is crazy to you, right? So, yeah. That, that oh, absolutely. The, that is the joy of of, of once you realise that you that you have mental health issues, that you can uh, find lots of other people have very similar experiences, and so you don't feel as alone. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, um, whether it's conscious or not, they're kind of waiting for someone else to make the first move. They're waiting for someone else to be like, I'm fucked up. And they can be like, oh, yeah, me yeah, yeah. too. Me too. Great. I didn't know yeah. anyone else. Right. Well, oh, this is great. Right. You know. Um, and actually, it's interesting because in Making It Rain, the theatre show about stripping, I did have basically a footnote where I talk about having anxiety and what that feels like. And the reason I'm doing this new show, A Robot in Human Skin, about anxiety is because outside of all of the stripping stuff, that was a thing people asked me about or wanted to know about or were, you know, felt was really important or really well kind of spoken. And then I was like, well, okay, if I can have a footnote about anxiety that touches people, so it's like, it was, you know, two minutes. Right. And people wanted to talk to me about it then I have to do a show. Like, it, it, it's important to branch that out into a show and and kind of make it something that people can come along to in full and either feel less alone or have more understanding right. or even just enjoy it as a show but still walk away with something, right. you know. And I think in the way that the mental health was a footnote in Making It Rain, I think stripping will be a footnote right. in A Robot in Human Skin. That makes sense. I guess. I mean, it's complicated, I guess, as well, because it, it's it's not something that, like, you don't want to, to tell audiences that sex work equals mental health issues because mm. that's already something that a lot of people assume about sex work, yeah, right? Yeah. That, that, that that's the whole reason people end up doing it in the mm. first place. Whereas it's a form of work mm. and it's a form of performance. So, of course, there are mental health mm. uh, 
concerns around it like like you know when 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 you know people everyone knows that robin williams had mental health issues yeah but they wouldn't say let's ban acting yeah but like so you're That's in that weird position of like you need to talk about this real stuff mm. but you don't necessarily want to present an entire profession as as, as being responsible for it but then there will be response there will be yeah. things that kind of intersect between oh absolutely your experience. i mean you're being you're being sexual in public and so mm. A lot of mental health issues, uh, I'm sure, will be affected by by that process of, mm. of of being being sexual in public, revealing yourself, all of those things, and like uh, I guess also, yeah, like the pressures of h- how we're supposed to be if we're sexual in public. Yeah, right? yeah, there's a certain kind of sexuality that's the one we're supposed to like, right? Absolutely. Um, and I mean, I guess yeah, I want to talk to you more about mental health, but I guess that that that's a good point to say like when you so when you do when you are a stripper do you go with do you how how do you feel about the the way that people are supposed to look and how do you fit into that like because because talking to you now over the table you've got a shaven head right like yeah yeah so so that's not what people would imagine a a woman with a shaven head is not someone that they would imagine being a stripper right yeah they would imagine you know all sorts of I'm not going to say what they imagine because I don't think they should imagine it. But yeah. But but how does that sort of square with you? Like, do you do you play to that ideal when you strip, or do you kind of subvert it and kind of do alternative stripping? Um, I mean, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I mean, I was hit with a lot of the um, "you don't look like a stripper," right? You know, even um, last year when I had kind of a, a bob, I have kind of curly hair, I had a sort of curly bob, and I was doing the show, and people were like you don't look like a stripper, you know, even when I'm on the stage stripping, like being a stripper <laughs> and even in the strip club, customers tell me I don't look like a stripper, you know, and I get that all the time. And it's kind of interesting because with hair or without hair in terms of shaving my head, it's like people still think I don't look like a stripper. Right. And um, it's really just because um, here in London, I've worked in these like essentially illegal underground clubs. But the good thing about them is that there's no rules about how you need to look. So the clubs that I worked at in Australia, they were gentlemen's clubs. They were high class. They were very strict. Some of them you had to wear certain colours. Some of them you had to wear a long dress all the time. Some of them you couldn't dye your hair blue, for example. It had to be a natural colour. Some of them you had to have a certain kind of makeup. You had to have fake tan, fake nails. You know, like there were certain things you had to have um, and certain things you had to do to kind of... uh, There was a club that had to have... uh, minimum six inch heels yeah <laughs> so like the, you know what I mean like it's but then here um the clubs that I work at in London like I could literally be on the floor in like knee-high socks and you know like trainers like short shorts and like a boob tube and they'd be like what you know shaved head no makeup they'd be like whatever like that's what you're doing they don't care like they come in yeah. pay my house fee that's all they care about right you know uh, and obviously they uh, they're like lovely and supportive and if I can't make it and all that stuff it's great and that's also kind of one thing people overlook about sex work and mental health is the fact that a lot of the reason that people with mental health issues go into sex work is because it's one of the only places where you have flexibility where you can say like I can't work this week because I'm not well you know what I mean? That's uh, right, and you, yeah. can, you can like not book in any shifts. You can have a week off. You can go away. You know, you have like financial freedom to take time off, to go away, to work or not work, um, you know, and you can go home early if you need to. And you know what I mean? It's like you can't do that in other jobs and you don't really 
I mean, that's not really respected, not that it's overtly respected in sex work, but there is this kind of sense of like, people know that it's a stressful job. So they either assume that you're burnt out because it's a stressful job, or maybe they know about mental health stuff, but like they do give you some leeway to kind of not always be doing a full-time kind of schedule Mm -hmm. as a sex worker, right? And it's like, that's something that people kind of forget about mental health and sex work is that, you know, I can't, I can't work a regular job where I'm making, you know, a good living wage doing two or three nights a week, you know, and having the flexibility to take a week, two weeks, a month off, you know, and in terms of being a performer, it's like, I can't do a job where I can go and work, you know, a month solid and then have a bunch of time off to tour and then come back right. and, you know, not go in that week and do that and blah, blah. And yeah. it's like, you just don't really have that with regular jobs. And so if you have mental health issues or you're, you know, you have other priorities. Yeah. Yeah. Kids. As yeah. Well, right? Oh, absolutely. That's kids, the like starting a business, you know what I mean? Like yeah. so many different things kind of mean you have all these restrictions, you have all these restrictions on yourself and your time and your labor and it's like, where else can you go and, like, make your rent in a night? You know what I mean? And obviously that's not always how it works out. Like, plenty of nights I've gone home with, like, 20 pounds. And that's a real thing. But at the end of the day, I can't have that flexibility elsewhere. So that's, like, really important to me, you know? Right. And it's really important to a lot of other people who have all kinds of other reasons. Like you're saying, kids and... um yeah, like other commitments or... Right. or carers, the... generally carers. Oh, I absolutely, mean, you know, yeah. All of this unpaid labour that women mm. tend to do within society, mm-hmm. um, it, it's a good job to fit that stuff around. Oh, absolutely. Um, and 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 it's, it's interesting, you know, I mean, I, I was reading recently, you know, there's been some studies that show that uh, sex workers have better mental health if they mm-hmm. have better conditions mm. around working conditions uh, and again like that's something we could learn across the board oh, like I'm yeah. not, you know we need to have better working conditions for sex workers generally because I'm not suggesting that that industry is uh, got the best terms and conditions uh, mm. that it should have yeah but like we need it across the board oh, we yeah, need it across absolutely. the board like oh. I mean even when I was working in McDonald's I couldn't like I could take time off but I had to book it in, like, something like uh, two calendar months in advance. And um, then it had to be, like, signed off. And I was doing overnight shifts. So I told them that I couldn't go for... I, I was unavailable from the 25th, inclusive of, like, a shift that would go into the 25th until something. And they booked me on the 24th until 6am. And I said to them, I can't do that shift because I, I'm, I'm not available from the 25th inclusive of and I was just like this is ridiculous like I shouldn't you know and I can the clubs I've worked in as a stripper I just text them and tell them when I'm available right that's interesting. you know week to week and if I can't make it in I mean it it depends and the clubs in Australia are really strict like I said um but here the clubs I've worked in these kind of underground clubs and they're kind of seedy and stuff but it's like I can text you know after the shift started and say I can't make it and I just get it that's okay babe see you next time hope you feel okay you know, and it's like there's been times where I haven't made any money and they haven't charged me my house fee, you know, and like it's just you don't get that with other jobs. You don't get right. this ability to kind of say because they, they think you're not reliable then, you know, if you can't make it in or if you're unwell, you know, and people don't understand 
like mental health stuff or other commitments, you know, and the fact that uh, life shouldn't revolve around a job, like full stop, you know what I mean? Right, absolutely. And if that life is taking care of people, taking care of yourself or pursuing other things, like you are always, like you're saying, people are happier and they're more willing to work and they work harder when they feel like they're being supported, you know, and the clubs where I've worked where I feel like there's a level of both professionalism and careful understanding or, or caring understanding. Uh, clubs where I'm happy to show up early, where I'm, you know, happy to stay back later if, they, if they're like, oh, it's busy, you know, um, or, you know, I'm happy to put in more effort or I'm happy to, like, pay a bit more on the house fee or whatever. Like, that's stuff where I'm like, well, I want to give back because you're being great and understanding. Yeah. And I just think it would be, I mean, it's, for a lot of people, it's hard, isn't it? Because if they're running a cafe, they want to know they've got a certain amount of people there to run the cafe. And, yeah. like, I get that. You know, but at the same time, it's like if you look at a lot of smaller businesses and essentially strip clubs are small businesses, generally they do treat their staff better because they're being more kind of it's it's more of a closed environment. It's more of kind of there's more, um, you know, social accountability and stuff. Right. And the bigger it gets, it either gets really, really good or really, really terrible. <laughs> so it's like it would be great if we could yeah. keep a, a like an almost small business kind of idea right. with things and just to help people take care of their own shit, you know? Yeah, no, I mean... I mean I, I, <laughs> that'd be, like, the ideal. But yeah. until then, like, I'm still gonna, you know, go to a CD club and, like, get my tits out for my fucking pound collection tin. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because, like, that's what's working. Yeah, and, I mean, well, yeah. you know, do what works in this world uh, mm. to get by. I mean, that's that's the thing that people generally forget mm. about other human beings is yeah. everyone's just trying to survive. Yeah. You're just, just trying to get by. So when did you, like, become aware that you were someone who has anxiety? Becoming aware, that's a... I don't yeah, know. It's complicated. Um, <laughs> I think I've backdated all yeah, of mine. Yeah, yeah. I was diagnosed when I was 20. Right. And then there was probably, like, a, a kind of gradual realisation um, over the next year or two. Uh, and then into kind of the next year, you know, cause I'm 25 now. So over the next like five years, there's been a, there was a gradual kind of realization and a thinking back and a yeah. kind of, oh, that and this and that and this. Um, well, well done to get it, to get to that point at 20. <laughs> like, I think it was like 35 when I got what? my, when I got my what? diagnosis. How old are you now? Well, 35, it was last year. So. Oh my God. Maybe 36. Wow. Um, but I, I was 35 when I got my official diagnosis. Mm. I mean, I, I diagnosed myself ages before that. Yeah, um, yeah. But still not that, like, not not as early as 20. If I, I wish that I could go back to my 20-year-old self and say, guess what? You've got anxiety and depression. It explains lots of stuff that's mm. happened to you beforehand, but it will also, if you don't realise that you've got these things, you're going to make terrible decisions for yeah. the next, you know, six years. And, then, you know, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, we can't go back in a time machine. We can't, no. Um, so you, you you kind of got diagnosed at 20 then. Yeah, yeah. I was having um, a lot of trouble sleeping, which I'd been having for a few years, probably since my kind of school certificate exam. So when I was like 16, I once you know once those kind of bigger exams in school were happening, I was starting to have some trouble sleeping. Um and it's so strange because when it starts, it's like, oh, I can't get to sleep till 1am. And then next thing you know, you're not sleeping till 2pm the next day. It's like, it's crazy how it just creeps up. Um, but yeah, I was having a lot, a lot, a lot of trouble sleeping. And so I went to the GP and they basically were a little bit cold, but gave me a referral to um, get a mental health assessment. 
And at the time, so this is five years ago, I don't know what's happening now, but at the time um, in Australia, 18 to 25-year-olds, I think, around that age, could get six free therapy sessions a year from like a, a GP referral. So you couldn't just walk in and be like, I'm crazy. But if you went to a yeah, GP and yeah. you were like, this is going on, you get six free therapy sessions a year because the suicide rates were so high. And, um, which is, yeah. Uh, and, only, and only six. Like, they go, oh, we've got, we've got yeah. high suicide rates. We better do something about this. Let's give them six yeah. therapy yeah. sessions. This is not... Because we have so many problems with, yeah. like, suicide <laughs> and um, drinking and then also car, car crashes because of the drinking. Right. Um, and all this kind of stuff. And that's a, it's kind of a grey area as well between mm, what's what yeah. you know, in those circumstances. Yeah. And especially in the country where I was living, like... Outside of the city, there was less kind of, you know, because it's, you know, the more country you go, the more it's kind of masculine and strength and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, um, I went and I got um, a diagnosis and I did a few sessions, I did the six sessions, and then um, I didn't keep going because I was then, like, touring. <laughs> so, yeah, and I've had, like, another assessment recently because um, there's a documentary being made about me so they need cool. to like thank you. <laughs> I don't know how long it'll take Just to get made. Drop that one. Yeah. <laughs> but they needed to have like um because it's kind of about like sex work and mental health and my life and everything, they have to know that I'm like sane enough to sign off on all that being exposed on TV. Right. You know. Um, Interesting. Yeah, that's, which quite, I, that's pretty ethical. Which I'd never. Yeah, I'm not actually. <laughs> yeah. More ethics than I expect from yeah. from many of the media. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, this is uh, we're trying to get it on like ABC, so it needs to be like right, 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 right. Um, it needs to be all kind of yeah. signed off and everything these days. Um, but yeah, I had another uh, assessment like uh, this March, and that was kind of like, yeah, like you've got these issues, and I can see. Like, it was basically like, you've got these issues, you hide with kind of confidence and being articulate, being like the smartest person in the room, being the most kind of, you know, the life of the party. Mm -hmm. I can see that and you know that and that's yeah. all good. And you're coping with these mechanisms and that's good. Um, and I mentioned I have a diary and I, I play um, music and stuff and I'm a performer and, um, you know, I, I am very communicative with people so that they know what's going on and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it was very much like, this is, like, all good. Like, you've got these issues and this is kind of fine. This is, like, a good... There's a level of, like, you're not going to, like, kill yourself tomorrow. So I'm, I'm fine with this <laughs> well, kind of yeah. thing. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm not su suggesting you will. It's just the certainty around that stuff is really complicated. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I've, and also it's really interesting. Like over the years I've come to realize, unfortunately I wish I hadn't in where I wish I hadn't realized it because I came to realize that I was kind of having suicidal ideation, but like the reason I wasn't recognizing it as such is because I wasn't thinking I want to die. I was thinking mm. I don't want to exist. Right. Yeah. And then I came to realize that was the same thing. Mm. Um, and that was a good realization. Although since realizing that my, my, my suicidal thoughts have, have progressed. Now they know what they're doing. Oh yeah. They go, right. Right. Now I can say suicide. Um, and yeah. then like, Oh great. Now I'm actually having much more suicidal thoughts. Uh, good, good for working that one out. Yeah. Um, but like, but the thing is, if I hadn't worked that out as well, I don't think I would have got therapy on the NHS. Like, mm. you have to be 
at risk of they have to think that there's a, a risk to you or others mm-hmm. for them to actually give a shit about you generally speaking oh, totally. uh, within you know the, the world I don't necessarily want to say that the the NHS is particularly bad or good on that they're struggling and a lot of great people in the NHS are trying mm. to do great things yeah. and like you say in Australia you were talking about six therapy sessions well and, you know the NHS offers people a lot more than that it's just quite hard to get it um, yeah, but yeah. you know so it, it swings around about, so I think. It is. I've certainly Absolutely. heard Australians say they're really pleased to have been in this country uh, and dealt with their mental health with the NHS. So I don't um, want to yeah, uh, yeah. write off the NHS. I've had a bad experience of it, though. I don't, like, it's, it took me, like, you know, two years or something. Like, like, no, like, probably overall, like, six and a half years to get actual therapy. Oh, my God. Um, but then I, I think I come across a bit like you, like, I'm a coper. Mm-hmm. Like, if, you, if you're very... In public, very together. Yeah. Everyone just assumes you're together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so it's, it's like the curse of high functioning mental health issues, <laughs> you know. And also, it's something where, like, if, um, because I am high functioning, but people know that I'm like crazy underneath, there's this weird thing where people kind of like, if someone's more ill than I am, I think there's a silent agreement, agreement between the two of us that, like, I'm going to help them. Do you know what I mean? Because like yeah, either yeah. I I'm like more together, so I have all the answers, or I'm more together, so I'm more capable of being there for them, yeah. rather than being there for myself. You know, yeah. and I I've never done like it's really strange because I I haven't ever done anything like really really drastic, but I've just done things where I've like left a job at lunchtime just quietly, right. just quite just left, just didn't come back. You know, and um, I've. Quite, I, I mean, that is quite drastic, though. That's quite a life. <laughs> yeah, but I, I didn't like. I didn't like. I, mean, I didn't I trash it, the place. I know, you yeah, know what I mean? I, I didn't like. I didn't throw shit everywhere. Right, um, but it's drastic for your life. Yeah, I guess it may so. not be drastic for the job or the, <laughs> uh, everybody around you. But it's quite like that's the thing. Like mm. I think high functioning people, uh, if you like, I don't know how I feel about that that description about myself but I'm happy to use it about you um but like people who can function with 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 their mental health like that that puts us into kind of a danger point mm-hmm. whereby we we yeah we kind of destroy our lives but in a way that we don't seem to, we can't be seen to do it like you say yeah right it's like oh, we're absolutely. on fire but we but we're we're, we're hiding the flames right oh absolutely like, yeah yeah and I think that's also like it's it's very clear that um any of the, I guess, like, adventurous impulses I have are in some ways, like, rooted in self-destruction. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah. stuff where, like... I mean, <laughs> the story I told last night at Smutslam, how I basically fell in love with someone after a week. I mean, we'd kind of known each other for two years, but, like, you know, I fell in love after a week, and I was talking about getting married, like, two weeks in. Like, that's me, in a nutshell, is just this, like kind of it's not like erratic behavior because i'm aware that what i'm doing is a little intense but in my mind i'm like but that's fine like i'm allowed like i'm allowed to make mistakes and like do crazy shit and if the craziest shit i do is like get married to someone that at the time i love that's not like that crazy yeah. like that's not the crazy that's a, that's fine you yeah. know what i mean so that's kind of how i rationalize it and it was like i was going to move in with someone after two weeks as well like from uh sydney i was going to move to perth right in in australia like the other side of the country uh i was like yeah good brilliant like it was happening like it was all gonna happen um 
and it's like that's kind of and I've moved now you know from Australia to the UK right um, and that's what I do like I'm that fucking person like when I was 19 I went on a Euro trip for four months by myself like that's who I am you know and I, I'm never I've not the kind of person I don't drink I don't do drugs I don't do any kind of substances but like I guess you could say like my drug of choice is doing kind of measured but quite chaotic things. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, I would never, you know... Um, I'm not the kind of person that would, like, go out with someone who's, like, a drug dealer, who's, you know, completely unstable, who doesn't have stable housing, who... You know what I mean? Like, that's not me, but I would definitely, like, meet someone and be like, oh, my God, we should go to Iceland, like, tomorrow. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah. that's kind of my level of... Um, <laughs> kind of like weird erratic oh I'm not crazy because I'm having fun right <laughs> right do you know what I mean yeah um, and also I think there's this uh, sense within me that's like if I'm doing crazy shit and then I feel terrible it's not because of the mental health issues it's because I did the crazy shit Right, it's like it right, gives right, me something right. it like distracts me gives and then it gives me a reason yeah. for you know and then suddenly again I'm still the right. life of the party aren't I I'm not like the sad girl crying yeah. I'm, if I'm crying it's because like I did all that crazy shit so well I mean the thing it sounds like like what, for what I didn't avoid I think and what I could have avo- should have avoided would have liked to have avoided is like believing because I guess because I'm a man as well like is part of it is like I really kind of bought into the kind of tortured artist mm-hmm. ideal of like no I'm just rock and roll like I'm yeah. not depressed I'm just rock and roll like the yeah. world is is pain because I'm an artist yeah. you know and it's, which is all bullshit but, mm. but you know there, there is an element of some kind of truth within it like I don't think that be having mental health issues uh, makes you a good artist but I do find myself personally and it sounds like you mm. uh, in your creative life these things that are also hindrances for my mental health are kind of strengths in my actual work yes <laughs> yes <laughs> and that's actually um this recent assessment that I had in March that's something that we talked about is this fear that I have that like if I ever got better I wouldn't be a good artist right you know I know that fear and I well. think I think there there has been times like it's so strange because I don't I don't really have suicidal thoughts or I don't really kind of hurt myself in like a physical way yeah you know I've never kind of um burned anything or or cut any place of me yeah. um and I've never wanted to like actually die I definitely wanted to be in a coma that's like a big one I love that right 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 oh that's so nice really you know what I mean me to think too, like yeah. oh I'd love to be hit by a car and yeah. just you know just, like four weeks yeah on pause mm. I always think of it like on oh. pause I wish I could just just I pause everything yes. three months time come yes. back That'll delicious <laughs> I actually I talk in making it rain about um, this job that I had in a call center, incidentally, uh, when I was 18 and it was really, really good money. It was like, um, like $28 an hour, like what's well, half of 28, 14, yeah. 14, 15 pounds an hour, whatever, like yeah. a conversion rate would have been different then, but it was really good money. And, um, my mum, my mum kind of got me the job, classic mum controlling my life. And, um, I, it got to the point where every day that I was driving to work, I would just think like, oh, should just crash this car you know and it was never like I want everything to be over it was just like if I crash the car 
then if I can like just mangle my legs or something, like if I can just right. do some weird shit that means so I've got a yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag relatable, good fun times. <laughs> it means that I could be like in hospital, right? Just for two or three months yeah. and I have this like physical injury. People can see that I'm physically injured and they can see that I'm not well and that I need care and that I need time to heal, right? And it's it's out there externally for people to see. And I can also say, oh, I was tired or something. You know what I mean? Like there's all... Yeah, I, I had yeah, it like worked yeah. out in my head everything that was going to happen. It was going to be fine. Right. And then maybe I'd even get fired from that job because I wouldn't right, be available, right, right, right. right? How good at that? But like it was all this whole kind of ruse to get away from that job. And eventually I just went to talk to them and I started crying and I just, you know, gave in my notice and I finished the next week. And it was all you know it was all good like but there was just this point where I just wanted to (laughs) crash the car because you know I've never really wanted to like actually be dead or actually not exist I've just wanted to be able to take out like a couple of months with an injury people could see because like with mental health so people can't see the injuries until you make it physical and that's often like what happens when people do hurt themselves you know it's because they're trying to show people like I am unwell yeah like you can't see it so I'm gonna make you see it it's by also doing about something. feeling though as well mm-hmm. like when you're talking about like I get I, I the the, the uh, name of your show like robot in in, in with human skin like yeah. that makes sense to me and I think that sometimes I think self-harm is about like just wanting to feel something yeah like you can't feel or you feel too much and so mm. it will block out because I again self-harm is something that I thought I didn't do and Mm. then I realized when I came that not all self-harm's the classics yeah so like I was like oh so when I punch myself or the wall like repeatedly like that is Mm self-harm it just is not like the one that gets the headlines and gets associated with self-harm Um, and I mean, you think about like, um, you know, men who start fights for no reason. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. You know, that's right, self-harm. Right, that's right. like a, a cry for help. That's I mean, you think about like alcoholism and yeah. all this kind of stuff, especially that's associated with kind of men and strength. It's like, oh, if some guy has a drinking problem, then he has a drinking problem. He doesn't actually have some other problem. Right. You know what right, I mean? Right. It's like if some guy's like out there like fighting or whatever, it's like, oh, he's just an aggressive young man. Like it's not something right. that might be more deep seated. And I think that's a real problem that we have, like, within, I mean, gender in our society and all that kind of stuff. But it's just so sad that it's so, like, the unhealthy coping mechanisms are so much more normalized than what might actually be happening, you know? Yep. It's, like, really, really scary that if I... It's, it's only once something really drastic happens that people go, oh, fuck, this is bad, you know? Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, self-harm is, like, overeating, Right. Self-harm is not eating. Right. Self-harm is oversleeping. It's not sleeping. It's not getting out of bed. Absolutely. There's all sorts of things to self-harm. Exactly. Yeah. But you just have these weird assumptions mm-hmm. or like associations with the word. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, probably you're like this with mental health too. Like that I know a lot of people who have it worse than me, as you were kind of alluding yeah. to earlier on. And so that took me a long time to to be able to put myself in anywhere near the category of them because yeah. I didn't want to... Like I like like I didn't want to appropriate their experience. I didn't Absolutely. want to uh, suggest that you know I have uh, much more severe mental health issues, which are definitely I don't know. Again, hierarchies aren't useful, but there are mm. definitely kinds of mental health that are harder to deal with than the kind of mental health I have. Um, yeah. But and so it's it it's like that with 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 self harm too. Like it's like like I didn't I I know people who've done quite kind of 
the headline grabbing self-harm stuff and so I didn't just didn't think it was right for me to to say that about myself but then you know that's that's the thing like why are all the people who maybe should be speaking not speaking and all of the people who (laughs) who are speaking all the time probably should shut up that's how I feel about life generally oh yeah and also like I'm someone who probably should have shut up a lot of times but I had all of this other stuff I wasn't saying which was the relevant stuff I mm-hmm. should have been saying yeah yeah you know like during those years I would have been using my maleness to dominate all the space but I would not have been talking about mental health <laughs> yeah 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 oh absolutely yeah yeah and I, I definitely relate to this idea of like thinking oh well I'm not not sick enough am I? I'm not not right. never done anything really crazy so right, I must be right, fine right. you know maybe I'm just a bit worrying sometimes it's okay just to worry sometimes isn't it people worry it's fine <laughs> yeah people, right i can worry it's a defi- it's, it, it works yeah like worry, that's, that's Absolutely. the other problem that you can oh. go like yeah worrying is actually useful oh, this, yeah. this one time it worked so Absolutely. it always works yeah that one time i thought i left the stove on i actually did leave the stove yeah, on and right, i went right, back right. and checked it turned it off so that's good maybe yeah. i should always be worrying about right. leaving the stove on and stuff <laughs> and actually i probably need to go and check on some other stuff in the house i should go back and just check on you know what i mean like every yeah. it's like this insidious kind of thing and I think also um I mean it can get a little bit real now but I mean I've had people quite close to me who have attempted suicide and someone Mm -hmm. who was uh, um you know actually did commit suicide and so I think like there is this thing where you go like well I haven't done that right and I've also seen how damaging that is for other people so I don't want to be that person that puts all my shit on someone else yeah. and, and, you know, makes them question what they did wrong and, and creates this whole thing. And maybe I don't even want to have those conversations, right? So that's why it becomes so much easier to think, oh, I'll crash the car or, oh, I'll yeah, run away yeah, yeah. or, oh, I'll just be that erratic person, you know, who's like doing whatever. Um or I'm doing crazy things, but they're measured. Like, yeah, I'm going and tour, going and um, traveling around at 19 in Europe by myself. But I'm going to like, you know, Central Europe and Northern Europe and the UK and stuff. And it's like it's all safe places, and I speak German and stuff, and I have um, family in Norway and family in the UK, and yeah. it's gonna be like it's all measured. But it's still like kind of crazy, but it's not crazy because it's measured. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm I'm getting away, but I'm not really getting away because I'm coming back. So it's like, it's just, it's so like, it's so crazy how you can justify something to yourself so, so very much when you're convinced you're not sick. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, that's been like my, like, that's why I really believe in, weirdly, that's why I really believe in kind of uh, self-diagnosis mm. because of the fact that I, diagnosing myself has made my life so much better I don't mm. I don't even care if it's true like yeah. I like it doesn't matter if, if 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 I actually have anxiety and depression I mean like my my assessment the person who assessed me doesn't believe I've got depression they only believe I've got anxiety which is weird it's just yeah. weird. it's just weird to like be like thanks for finally giving me my diagnosis but it's not you know I'm glad I've got it because it means mm. I can get therapy but it's not why it's not my diagnosis yeah and like i made my diagnosis ages ago and if you just listen to me Mm. i mean that's the big problem that mental health has generally is that people don't listen to the actual people experiencing it because we're unreliable narrators Uh, and it's understandable in some ways that people don't listen to us but if you don't listen to us then how can you help us you know yeah oh absolutely and how can we get like (laughs) systems in place to help people that are even less capable of describing their narrative right you know that's the most confusing thing like especially because as i was diagnosed at 20 like one of the reasons now i use this kind of 
very articulate kind of bravado shield is because when I was 20 or even younger, I didn't have the words to kind of explain to people what was going on in my head. And people do think that, you know, um, younger people are always changing and they've just blah, blah, and they'll grow out of it and all this kind of stuff. And it's so interesting because when I look back, I realize I've never had non-anxious thought processes. Never. Like as, as young as, what, three or four, I've never lived in a way that is not shaded by anxiety you know I've, I've never not wanted to double check something I've never not worried about this thing or that thing I've never not have this kind of double thought where you know I'm having a conversation with you and I'm thinking about other stuff like it's in the back working away and kind of reminding me about other things but I'm still here but I'm not here you know and that's always been my process right and I think like when you're you know 16 having problems sleeping because you're doing exams that's just what kids are like, you know. Right. And, you know, it's not good. Like, my, my mum refused to give me sleeping tablets because I was too young. And, I mean, she didn't, you know, give me booze or anything. Like, she didn't give me anything. Um, so I just had to deal with being tired during my exams, which isn't the worst thing in the world, is it? And it probably isn't good to give, you know, drugs and stuff to people that are that young. But maybe it is. You know, maybe it would have been worth a try. Maybe during, a hol- like, you know, the holidays or something, time off, it would have been good to try and see if it helped, you know, something yeah. like that. Yeah. But at the same time, like, um, my friend who committed suicide, they were trying to work out her meds at the time. Right. And so I think I was really concerned about taking any kind of medication. Right. Because I was like, well, that's what happens. Yeah, you know? I mean, I have similar kind of concerns about mm. medication, which is not to say that I don't... I know many people medication works really well for, oh, and yeah. I am not anti-meds mm. in any way, like... Um, my aunt uh who tried to kill herself earlier in her life is is you know takes medication and has a really great life and mm. and, and is a great example i think in some ways of that you can make it through and you can have a good life and i won't if anyone is listening with mental health issues they really should be aware of that possibility mm. i'm not oh, definitely. i don't i don't believe in kind of sugarcoating stuff but oh, also yeah. there's a there's a big danger in being too cynical or pessimistic around this stuff mm-hmm. medication yeah, I've seen a lot of people, it affects, like, kind of... I've, I, I've known people who were on Siroxat as well, which was the one that made mm. people worse and actually yeah. potentially... Like, I know people who blame medication for some of their mental health, so it's it's really complicated. Yeah. Um, but, like, I don't take medication. Um, well, I don't take prescribed medication from the, the pharmacy. I, I, I may I may have my own ways of self-medicating, yeah. but that's, that's, that's my business. And uh, not the, not not necessarily to lay on record at this moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, and and do you, do you do you medicate or like do you have medication? Um, I think uh, I kind of. This is the thing. I, I'm so aware of how addictive my personality is and how <laughs> changeable yeah. I can be and erratic. That's why I don't uh, drink, do any kind of drugs, right. smoke anything, like nothing. You know, because and I think maybe in a way that's a form of medication. I have this obsession with kind of controlling myself and kind of being very, um, I don't know, kind of being very like, well, I'm not doing all these things, so that means I'm fine, you know. Because, yeah. um, <laughs> like, people only self-medicate with drugs and stuff, right? right. But, no, I mean, I'm, I self-medicate with, like, like I'm saying, these kind of semi-erratic experiences yeah, right, right, right. and um i guess i guess you would almost call them like uh periods of like mild mania or something where um i i i just 
I just kind of go, well, this is, this is fine. You know, like I'll have this kind of like almost this time to kind of blow off steam, like during a festival and stuff. It's something where I can go around and like kiss a bunch of my friends and get on the dance floor and like maybe take someone back a couple of times. And like I have this, it's this rush of like, oh, I'm so social. I'm so like, you know, out there and this is so fun and I'm, I'm so wanted and needed and loved and it's great. Right. And then afterwards I can go and like recover, but I've still got this, um, kind of underlying like uh I guess like verification that I'm a person and people like me you know right. um and then also the kind of <laughs> you know I mean obviously it's great to have like long-term friends that I know and I can trust and everything and I- I'm working to a point where it's not just like erratic kind of great 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 times and then like alone by myself for months at a time it, I'm trying to get it to a point where it's like a bit more even. Balanced, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But definitely there was like um, a couple of years there, especially when I was just doing comedy and stuff, there was there was getting into a pattern of like festival season, go crazy, you know, be out there social and kissing everyone and all this sort of stuff. And then like going home to where I live with my mum and just like going completely into myself. And that's when I also would write the next show, right? So in my mind, I was like, this is the perfect, like, yeah. routine yeah. <laughs> throughout my year. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. that for, and for, I think for some creative people, that would be a perfect yeah. routine as well. It, it just, all of these things are con- con- contextual. And like you say mm. uh, about your sex works uh, piece of theatre, and also I, I imagine about your anxiety piece of theatre, you're talking from your perspective and mm. I try to do that myself as well like when I do my masculinity show I mostly try to position you know position myself very much within this is my experiences yeah. uh you know with some with some it's not quite as simple as that I definitely tell I definitely sort of say you know men need to talk about this sort of thing or that sort of thing so that's less just about my experience but I, mm. I try to position myself within it and it sounds like that's what you're doing right yeah yeah um and it makes sense to do that I think because people's lives are so varied and life is so complicated. Mm. Oh, absolutely. It, it, the only way we can find any truth from each other is to be really specific. Yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And also just be um, be willing to be so specific in our vulnerability as well. I think there, there sometimes can be kind of a problem where especially I think in kind of media representations of, of people's, you know, journeys and all that kind of stuff, it's like often the most vulnerable stuff is the stuff that never really gets spoken about. Right. You know what I mean? It's like you'll have a situation where two characters fight and then their reconciliation is kind of like a, oh, I'm, and you and we're good. You know, it, it doesn't yeah, actually happen, right. you true. know? And it, it's such a shame because I think it's really important to see people in very specific moments of vulnerability because I think in, in a lot of ways that's the most truthful kind of um, representation of a person is like, you know, there's that whole kind of like, oh, how someone acts under pressure is the true them, you know, and I think that's quite, you know, it's like vulnerability can be kind of a pressurised situation. And I think it's really a shame that we kind of brush over that so much because we're so scared of that that moment, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's all very much stuff I think a lot about in terms of men and masculinity, mm, mm. Uh, 
Spark on Monday this week, a, a guy came and told his second story, like he told a story with us before, um, and he was telling a story, and he's, a, he's someone with a stammer, so he's oh. he's telling a story having dealt with that stammer to a certain extent, but it's, it's a, an incredible kind of, you know, act of him just getting on the stage and mm. speaking in the first place. But he told a, a story about going on holiday with you know, for the first time after he dealt with his stammer and he was like, it was a single person's holiday. And like, he had this whole kind of part of it where he, he described like just crying in his, his in his hotel room and uh, a woman next door sort of say, seeing him later and saying, was that you crying? And him saying, yes. And them having a conversation yes. about that. And now they still speak. And they're not, not in a romantic way, just mm. in, a, in a friendship way. And I thought... Wow, I'm I'm so pleased this guy's telling this story for so many reasons. Like he's a, you know middle-aged guy. It's so good to, for for men in general to see that as a, an example. Look, because men cry. Like that's yeah. the thing. Like you say, we don't see all those scenes in the film. We don't. Like I I often think like the arts have a real problem with representation generally. We understand that, mm. but we but we think like and, and quite correctly that the overrepresented group of people is men, and that's true. Mm. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. But, but they're not represented in all of their aspects. Oh, so, so I always think, like, where are the male role models that, who aren't role models? Where are the ones who, like, who are, are rubbish, clumsy? Where are clumsy men? Like, oh, you know, yeah. you know, all of that stuff. Like, where's a clumsy hero rather than a clumsy com- comic man? That's a different thing. Oh, so true. But, you know, it's weird. Yeah. It's so weird. Actually, I recently watched a video essay on the um, masculinity represented within this, you know, the new Harry Potter film that's, like, set in America. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Um, the, starring yeah. That, that guy from the other thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fantastic so, be- fantastic Beasts and it. Where to Find Them or something. <laughs> But it was basically going over his masculinity that's shown and and discussing the fact that um, people have suggested he seems to be on the autism spectrum and the fact that he shows a lot of strength in his vulnerability and the fact that he is seen as, um, you know, a friend, a companion, a kind of strong, reliable person, despite the fact that he is quite odd, despite the fact that he isn't kind of seen as traditionally strong right you know and all this and how that's something that we really should be celebrating and i i I think i definitely really agree with you this fact of like we don't just need what we need is just diversity in general you know and it's it's really kind of upsetting to me because it's like i don't want to see the uh, the same story again like i feel like we've seen the same story so many times on one level it's just aesthetic isn't it it's just aesthetic it's just i want more interesting ideas yes absolutely (laughs) i want different perspectives i want to see different kinds of people i want to see those kinds of people in roles that i never would have thought i'd seen them in right you know and it's like it's also kind of annoying for me because like on a personal level and this is probably not what it's for but like i don't find the alpha male attractive right so like i'm watching the thing and i'm like oh fuck this guy again yeah you know what i mean because i'm just like i don't I don't care about him i'm not yeah. atta- i'm not attracted to him i'm not attached to him i don't have any kind of reason to keep watching right because i know where it's going i know who he is i know what's going to happen you know and it's like i want to see all these kinds of masculinity and femininity and androgyny and all kinds right. of different things represented all kinds of different shapes and sizes and and um, ethnicities and sexualities and it's just such a shame that we're like we're still now in a stage of like only just starting to chip away like only yeah, just yeah. and it, it's a very slow process yeah but i think there are also you know a few kind of um, bits of media that are mainly made by made by men of color that are really showing 
a much more broad kind of spectrum of um, the masculine experience, right. I think. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's what's really exciting for me is like, like you know, I often say like I tick a lot of the boxes of, of privilege and like, I, you know, but it's so exciting for me to see that work and, 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 and this is, should, should be something that, that people like me should take heart in yeah. that work made by women or by men of colour are representing white people and uh, men in much better ways than oh, we're yeah. represented generally like like this idea that like oh that you know I'm not saying we should do it for white men like uh, give us the final bit of representation <laughs> that we've always been uh, want, want, want hungering for but the thing is when women make stuff they show different sides of men when in in what they make, oh, absolutely. and and they're the sides of, of men that men never have the guts to represent. Yeah, and 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 similarly, like with race, like they, you see different sides of whiteness mm. uh, in, in 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 stuff, but made by people of color. Like mm. even and even to the extent of just like it's good to be the minority. Like like it, it it's good for for white people to see that like sometimes like you're not the center of the story. You're just the person in the background doing whatever like. Yeah. necessary in that scene that's important representation oh, for white people to see yeah I mean, yeah <laughs> and actually like um it's interesting that you're saying this thing about like women writing for men because i think not only is there a problem of men wanting to write themselves as kind of vulnerable in moments or whatever but also there's the fact that a lot of the time men only show their vulnerability to women right and so like you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, and like one on one yeah only one, yeah, so, one individual woman yeah. absolutely yeah um and so it's like what men are writing or what men have written is the boys club, you know, the men all together and, and putting on the show for each other. Right. And then what women see is the one-on-one, the kind of men opening up and being vulnerable. And so a lot of men, like, even if they do do that with their spouse, even if they have those vulnerable moments with their spouse, they kind of go, Oh, but what if I'm the only guy who does that? Kind of like what we're saying about the mental health stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, if you take someone else's perspective who gets to see, someone in a much more realistic and rounded light then you we as the audience get to see them that way as well and then I feel like everything kind of starts and ends with the media in a lot of ways and I think what I'm hoping for is that as we get far more diversified representation um, we'll get to a point within our society where people are like well I am kind of like that person Mm. you know and maybe that will help to kind of break down all this really dangerous kind of behavior behind like masculinity equals strength and all that sort of stuff that happens with gender roles that's really destructive within kind of each person and also relationships and all this kind of stuff like that would be my hope yeah I mean but it it also works the other way as well like Mm. I've always identified with women characters in books and 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 tv you know and and so it's always been really confusing to me that a lot of men seem to feel like if there aren't women or people who look like them on screen that they can't identify with them mm. like women and people of, of color have been identifying with white men yeah fucking centuries yeah. <laughs> like it, it's absurd like you know like when i think of like who i want like who I identify with in shows. Like I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but I'm not identifying with Xander. Mm. I'm, I'm identifying with Buffy, really. You know, and like I, I, when I when I when I if I if, if I'm into Spike, it's it's into him like 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 because he's an attractive uh, person for the, the you know, for Buffy, the one I'm identifying with. Mm. You know, like uh, you know, like it's a it's a really interesting thing that this idea that we can only identify with people who look like us. Yeah, but at the same time, like. 
lots of people never get to identify yes. with people who look like them. Yeah. So it's so we we, we solve both of those issues to a certain extent. If Absolutely. We, if we, yeah, have better representation. That's so true. I think I probably should r- wrap it up relatively soon. Cause, I mean, I could talk to you for eight hours. <laughs> this I mean, is this great is it. Stuff. It's great. I mean, so it's been, it's been a real pleasure uh, getting better acquainted with you today. The last question that I ask everybody is, do you have anything to plug? So uh, my new show about anxiety, A Robot in Human Skin, will be debuting at the Edinburgh Fringe all of August at Underbelly Medquad. And my show from last year, Making It Rain, about stripping, will be at the King's Head Theatre in Islington in the end of September slash first week of October. And details for both of those shows and future showings of either of those are on my website, which is nicolehenriksen.com. So I'm sure we can probably put a link on you yeah, absolutely. Kind of to take them there. And There'll be links updated. in the show notes, as there always are. I'm, yeah. I'm very impressed that you, you've already got it down. Like, I was <laughs> like, that's great. Like, you know, that's always my problem when I sort of go to plug things. I'm, uh, I'm always like... Uh, which many, like, that's when like I, I'm I'm demonstrating the process of my anxious mind uh, mm. too much in those moments. You've got it down. I like it. <laughs> like it. Um, yeah, I mean, people should definitely check that out. I'm 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 going to try and catch it if I'm in either of those locations at the right time. Thank um, you. Yes. And- also, I should mention. Um, I mean, it's not like definite, but um, a robot in human skin. I will be looking to. Um, perform that and tour that elsewhere in the right. UK following Edinburgh Fringe. Like, that's the point of Edinburgh Fringe to kind of get interest in it. So um, it, it will be continuing. And that's why I say, like, just keep updated by the website. Right. Um, but also, I mean, it's great to see a show in its early stages and see the kind of rawness of it. Yep. So I'd recommend if people are around in the Edinburgh Fringe, please come along. Right. And sounds like as well, if you're someone who books shows, uh, you know... <laughs> Nicole is, is ready for you to contact her. Yeah, tweet me. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> hey, Nicole, we want to offer you a deal. Great. Yeah, I mean, I wish I wish that's how it worked. <laughs> like, on that note. Uh, the last thing that I always ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Oh, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> okay. Um, well, thank you, everyone, for listening this far. Um, I've appreciated your kind of retrospective company. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening, and goodbye. Bye, everyone. The next Smut Slam is on the 13th of September because we're taking August off. It's at the Dogstar in Brixton. Doors open at 7.30. The theme will be sex education. The show that I mentioned about masculinity is called What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity and you can find out more about it at mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk or by listening to the most recent stand-up tragedy podcast, where you can hear it in full. As well as making Getting Better Acquainted, I also co-produce and, I guess, star in the magical realist audio drama podcast, The Family Tree. Season one of The Family Tree is available to listen to on the website, thefamilytreepodcast.co.uk. But even more exciting than season one is the soon-to-be-released season two. So in the middle of July, there's going to be a mini-episode which will explain more about what season two is going to be. And then from August, season two of The Family Tree begins. But in order to keep making it and to make season two as good as we want it to be, 
we need your help so if you can afford to then please do consider signing up to our patreon appeal you can follow getting better acquainted on twitter at gba podcast you can like getting better acquainted on facebook and you can find getting better acquainted on itunes soundcloud those kind of places but remember there are lots of ways to get better acquainted <laughs>